0: Okay, we should be recording at this moment. It says, did you want to do a blank screen? And I said yes, because I don't want to show anything. I just want the audio. All right, can you hear me? Yep. Just checking. Okay, so we're going to go into this with four teams. We've got uh, G-Volt's Milan Mosquitoes, Harlock's Enix Slimes, Pasha's Minnesota Government Dogs, and Ginger's Walney Rakers. Uh, all these teams have pretty much been here, done that, and have kind of mired themselves in somewhat of a mediocrity in the uh, the Super League proper, but their teams haven't changed all that much. We'll just take a quick look at them. We'll sign them a 1-4 to four score, and whoever has the lowest amount of total points has the best shot, we think, of winning the division. And by we, I mean myself, CBX, as well as Circle Master, who is my collaboration guest today. Say hello, please.
1: Hello. I'm Circle Master. You might know me from getting to level 99 in the first reactor in Final Fantasy VII. And not the Super League, because nobody knows who the hell I am here.
0: You know what? That's okay, because if people knew you from the Super League, if you were anyone but Smasher or maybe Marauder, there might be more issues we'd have to deal with. So, let's uh, continue. By the way, 99 in the reactor. That's uh, actually pretty impressive. I I wish I had that kind of willpower.
1: Yeah, just try it in Final Fantasy IX. It's going to take five times as long.
0: Oh, my aching adult heart doesn't know if I can deal with that. Same with my aching adult hands. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started on this preview so as not to take up too many people's times here. Also, only like 10 people actually listen to this, so what do we care, to be honest? But yeah, we're helping out some friends here. So we're going to take a look at the spreadsheet that I've got and I've distributed and we'll just go ahead and go from left to right. We'll start with our first base positions. So as the resident slightly more baseball knowledge, haver, um, I'll go through, list the players and then we can talk about them for a couple seconds and then we'll give them our listing scores. And, uh, that's how we'll calculate at the very end. Sound good. Everything. Excellent. So let's start. Um, G-Volt's team is running out an Albert Pool Holes of the 2009 variety. Um, The slimes for Harlock have a 1939 Johnny Mize. Pash's government dogs are sending out Rod Carew out of position, but the 1975 vintage. And the Rakers are using the trusty Fox, Jimmy Fox, 1927 version. Honestly, I, I have to give Fox's pedigree the slight nod over Pool Holes, although this is a young Pool Holes. Uh, Carew's hit tool is good, um, but he's not a first baseman by trade, so I would probably put him third in the list and maybe just about as even with Johnny Mize, but that's just how I see it. What do you think?
1: Well, of these first basemen, I know two of them, and I've heard of the third one, and Rod Carew, I think, is the clear outlier, not being a first baseman.
0: Thankfully, he's a second baseman, but Mogul isn't always kind with uh, forced position switches if they didn't really play the position uh, during their career, so that's why I have him third. I still think his hit tool is good enough, and first base isn't really a position where you have to have the best defense in order to succeed, but I still think that this puts him slightly behind the other two as far as they had much better power numbers throughout their careers. I mean, Fox is in the Hall of Fame, Pujols will certainly be there shortly. And uh, Johnny Mize, well, he's just, uh, yeah, he, he, he's a legendary player, but he's not the same power-hitting pedigree. And that's something you really look for at a, a steadfast position like first base. You want guys that can slug, uh, ideally. And to find guys like Fox and Pujols who just have a better command of the zone, I think that's what elevates Fox to number one, Pujols to two, leaving Carew at three and Mize at a very close, but still four for me. What do you think?
1: Uh, I'd probably switch Mize and Crew if I were doing it, but I know less about baseball, so I'll stick with your rankings. How about?
0: That's alright, we're both allowed an opinion here. Um, So what we'll do is we'll just list them both as three. Uh, That's good enough for a tie for me. Alright, how about introducing the second base players for us, and I will get caught up.
1: Oh, we got Eddie Collins for the Mosquitoes. The Slimes have uh, Briggs Stevenson. Garmin Dogs have the Charlie Geringer and Waldy Rakers have a uh, Roger Hornsby.
0: Ah, uh, Rogers Hornsby, such a divisive player. Um, you know, the Rakers have been riding him for seasons upon seasons. He's always put up a pretty high uh, batting average, but is a veritable stick in the mud almost literal stick in the mud defensively um, same with Eddie Collins just when you go back that far defense was never really the biggest thing uh, you can even say the same about Stevenson but Gehringer is the outlier on that list as one of my favorite players of all time Charlie Gehringer, was the start of the revolution as far as reliable second baseman that could get the done both with the bat and the glove um, being a Detroit native and seeing his statue in the place where I went to work day after day for around six years, Comerica park in downtown Detroit. I grew a very, very strong appreciation for the, uh, the consistency of the stats he pulled in real life. And there's a reason why he's still a fairly sought after second baseman in the league right now. Excuse me.
1: I mean, absolutely. There's, there's no way not to have Charlie. there as number one, uh, I will say I don't know who the hell Riggs Stevenson is, so you'll have to enlighten me.
0: Riggs is one of those players that a lot of our owners love to grab as utility, because he is fairly versatile. He's older, so he's he, he's able to put up the higher batting averages that we're used to from players you know before the 50s. Um, he's versatile. A lot of people do play him left field. He's got a decent. Super League pedigree, but I'm not sure if he's starting second baseman in a competitive division level Super League pedigree. So my ratings would probably go Garinger first, Collins and Hornsby tied at second, and Riggs in third. What do you think?
1: Uh, I would probably put Hornsby as solid second above Collins, because why not? I want to be. That was my hot take for this. Uh, for this thing I'll get it out of the way early
0: I like the gumption I'll go with that so we're gonna go with uh Gehringer as the the first seed Rogers Hornsby of the 26 variety as our second Eddie Collins from 1916 as our third and Riggs as our number four sounds good to me let's move on to shortstop I'll go ahead and uh, take over this one we've got G volts team running out Joe Cronin from 1933 Uh, The Slimes have a Honus Wagner, he of the uh, T1918 card variety, which used to be one of the most expensive baseball cards in the world. The 07 variety here. Um, Pash is running out someone named George Davis, which could just as easily be your certified public accountant, or an engineer working on uh, waste management in a small Nebraskan town as his shortstop. And then the Rakers are running our first platoon with an Archie Vaughn, the famous White Sox shortstop from the 1943 vintage, as well as Joe Cronin as his uh, spoon, his platoon partner from 1935. Honestly, I've always been a fan of the Wagner uh, body of work. I, I think he's slightly underrated, even though he's very sought after, even though he is from that dead ball era. He still seems to put up solid numbers. And, you know, when you try to go for defense with shortstops, usually the hit tool just doesn't play in the Super League. So you've got to have a transcendent bat. And because Wagner gets those, you know, dead ball stats, he tends to uh, excel more often than not. And he's in a pretty good age for 1907. So he'd be my first choice. But then you're looking at the Rakers. You know, Vaughn and Cronin are a decent pair. You've got a a solitary Cronin for the Mosquitoes. I mean, it's really hard to tell, but I I might give the edge to the platoon. Just, uh, you know, taking one of those variables out of the hands of Mogul's notoriously horrible engine. And uh, certified public accountant George Davis. Sure. 1901 variety at shortstop. Yeah. Okay. Number four for me.
1: If you told me it was a 2001 George Davis, I would have just believed you, because George Davis sounds like the name of a fictional vice president on a television show.
0: President Sterling resents that remark, sir.
1: Uh, But yeah, you always got to, unless you're platooning with George Davis, I think you always got to take the platoon over the singleton. Uh, Honus Wagner, I actually have a Honus Wagner. He's on my bench. And when he was starting for me, he did not put up impressive numbers. And I was sadly disappointed that this like legendary shortstop that I had actually heard of as somebody who's not familiar with baseball, uh, kind of blew it. So I, I'm, I'm going to have a little grudge against Honus Wagner, but now I have the machine, so I don't
0: care. That was your big off season acquisition, uh, trading, several players in order to get your hands on the lethal machine of Smasher's own creation.
1: It, it really wasn't that big of a trade. I don't know what Craig K wanted. Like, he wanted a Ruth, and I was like, okay, I'll trade a Ruth. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll trade you a replacement fielder, and you can trade me a replacement shortstop. So we, like, just did two no-name bench players, and then the, it was pretty, pretty much just Ruth for machine straight up.
0: Honestly, and I know this will probably come back to me because everyone's going to listen to this, and I wish they wouldn't, but I'm still doing this anyways. I think Craig K has played way too much Dota. He has been corrupted by the toxicity, and his (laughs) mental faculties have seriously degraded to the point where he traded up one of the most consistent, crushing custom players that has ever been unleashed in this league, for a simple bay berth and a, a a basically bench filler swap. Um, I'm not sure what he was thinking. Congratulations. Uh, you've got literally the, two of the best shortstops at a position of need in the Super League that you could ever hope to have. So uh, you, you can deal from a position of strength after this. But for right now, you've got excellent depth and you have, you know, the machine. So with that having been said you know, if the machine does somehow get injured, which he won't because he's a machine, you still have a Honus Wagner. (laughs) So with, with all that, I would still rank Wagner. Number one, I'll take the platoon pairing of Vaughn and Cronin. Number two, I'll take Joe Cronin by himself at three and uh, window washer, George Davis. That's number four.
1: I'll agree with that, which will immediately cause George Davis to have a breakout season. And we will both be proven wrong.
0: You may not be far off with that. All right, so go ahead and give us the uh, lowdown on third base.
1: Well, at third base, uh, the Walney Rakers have Wade Boggs. The Government Dogs have Wade Boggs. Enix Slimes have Wade Boggs. And Milan Mosquitoes have Scott Rowland.
0: Scott Rowland. Yeah, that's... uh, When you take a look at the Mosquitoes infielding, uh, you've got... And Eddie Collins at second, as your you know your pivot for the double play. I mean, you're really depending on his bat, and almost the same thing with Cronin. I mean, he is a bit better at defense, but not outstandingly so. And you're you're seeing a similar pattern here. Most teams right now are going with the older second base and shortstop because screw defense, just get a lot of hits. That's apparently the way to win right now. Good contact, good eye leads to Lots of base runners and hopefully lots of runs, but the third base position, the third base position has always been one of those positions where you either had a Boggs or you hoped to God that you had an outstanding season from former number one pick George Brett, and that's still a horrible, horrible joke in the Super League, <laughs> or you somehow have a created player. I don't, I don't know of any third-base created players we have in the league, but none of them are Wade Boggs. So the fact that we see three in the entire division here, A, lets me know that these are the smart owners who figured out that having Boggs' decent defense and an outstanding contact tool at a position of need in third base is definitely something to uh, invest in. And uh, it also leads me to doubt G-Volt's mental acuity here running out of scott Rowland of the 2005 version so i think we really just have to go through these and hit them up by age um Ging's 87 wade boggs is the closest to the prime years that we've got so he's going to get the slight number one and then we'll just go in order with pash's number two uh harlock's number three and then scott Rowland as the you know the caboose
1: Yeah, I I pretty much intro to them in the order that they're getting ranked, so not much to discuss there.
0: Fair enough. Uh, We'll go ahead and move on, and we'll look at the catching position. So the Mosquitoes are trotting out a Yogi Berra. Uh, The Harlocks Slimes are running a 1939 Ernie Lombardi. Pash has got faith in a dead ball catcher from the Cubs by the name of Frank Chance, and the Rakers have done the only sensible thing here and set up a catching platoon of a uh, 1927 Mickey Cochran and a 1910 Roger Bresnahan. <sighs> Early thoughts?
1: Uh, I'm torn between the platoon and the Yogi Berra for what should be first because I like Yogi Berra is one of those legendary players I've heard of, but that doesn't mean that he's actually good in mogul. I'm sure he is, but uh the other two I, I have no idea who they are, so they're obviously on the bottom
0: so Ernie Lombardi's been one of those uh, fringe starters for as long as I can remember in the super league uh, you know he he's not at the level of a Cochrane um, you know not one of those outstanding catchers that you know are guys you can just count on to give you a consistent batting average, decent enough defense, and call a decent enough game without being subjected to, you know, dead ball issues with the mogul engine. Or, you know, their arm may not be the strongest like your uh, severe dead ball catchers, like Frank Chance, just due to the way the mogul handles those types of stats. But basically, Cochrane's going to give you a good batting average and good enough everything else. And in the Super League, you kind of take your chances with those types of guys whenever you can get them. So for that reason, I would go with Cochran and Bresnahan as number one simply because in the catching role, platooning is important. If you don't already have a platoon set up, then you're going to have to designate individual uh, catchers for individual pitchers. And with the Mogul engine, that's always a bit of a uh, a risk simply because you may be pairing a dead ball catcher with a uh, a control pitcher, and you're you're wasting the best aspect of a dead ball catcher, which would be their arm. Dead ball catchers would let a lot of balls drop, but their arms were apparently so strong, because the way the stats were reported, that they would just catch base runners going all the time, supposedly. So, you know, if you're not careful with how you pair those, you lose the best parts of them, and you just bring down your pitching catching battery. So. For that reason, platoon number one, Barra two, Lombardi three, and chance number four for me. Sounds good to me. All right. Insightful commentary. Let's move on. We're going to look at left field now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John I
1: boy. told you in advance I'm not a baseball guy.
0: It's okay. You're going to learn today. Uh, <laughs> shoeless Joe Jackson, he of the Black Sox scandal, leads off our left field list. Uh, the 1916 version for G-Volt. We have a 1996 Barry Bonds for the Harlocks Slimes. I know they're the Enix Slimes, but I, I have to remind myself that they're Harlock in order to remember that Harlock is a thing that still exists in the Super League. No offense to Harlock, I just very rarely hear your name. Harlock, Harlock, Harlock. Anyways, Pash.
1: He's a giant spider in the fiction, isn't he?
0: He very well could be. He could be a, a giant spider in real life. one that is I mean, to obviously, Smasher
1: history. wouldn't write anything that's not true.
0: We can talk about that later, the way he's characterized me so many times. Uh, leads a lot to be desired, but <laughs> <laughs> at, well, at so- least
1: you get characterized. I barely ever make it in. <laughs>
0: Well, it's your aversion to the letter E that he finds so fascinating, but it's really hard to define a character by uh, four vowels and a blank spot where the fifth should be. So we look at Babe Ruth for Pash's government dogs as well, and we also have Ted Williams making a uh, very rare appearance these days, uh, hitting for Ginger's Rakers. Uh, Go ahead and give me your thoughts on these
1: uh well having dealt with double ruth and then trying to put people around double ruth i have unfortunately made a lot of outfield moves and trades and whatnot so i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and say ted williams number 1 cuz yeah ted williams babe ruth number 2 cuz yeah babe ruth although this one's not the youngest uh, my understanding is that Barry Bonds is very good in Mogul, except he dies instantly. So I'm going to put that. I am going to put that number three is slightly ahead of Shoeless Joe because Shoeless Joe just never really performs as well as you want him to, in my experience.
0: I would imagine it's because the Mogul engine hates. Um... People that throw games and automatically curses them with a, uh, a lower contact tool.
1: That's the thing. Necessary. He didn't throw the game. He took the money and he played his best.
0: Still, okay. Mogul Engine is very picky and very um, uptight about players it deems um, crooked. Why do you think Miguel Cabrera tends to have issues? You get one drunk driving thing, and all of a sudden, the engine just absolutely hates you. That's why we don't see any Cabreras. So we're the looking... You a
1: Cabrera on my bench, actually.
0: <laughs> I, I, I miss maybe to be honest, uh, working at the park. Uh, the position that I had, you know, I was out on the field kind of early, and uh, sometimes I would be literally on the field with the players, talking with them um, in order to herd fans. And Miggy was one of those guys where you didn't expect him to come talk to you because English is not his first language, but he would come and, you know, he would give a shout out, chat up some of the fans, you know, occasionally shake the ushers hands. He'd never know your name, even though you're wearing a badge that says it, but he'd just call you dude or ma'am or whatever he felt like saying. And then he'd just be off like the wind, just a a faint memory. Let you know that Cabrera was here. (laughs) All right, enough of my uh, reminiscing here. Looking at our left field lineup here, I I can't, even though Ruth is a little older in this uh, particular vintage, I can't not give Babe Ruth a number one. Maybe if you were, like, extremely old and you didn't have a plan in place to, you know, back him up and give him some breathers because the man needs to down some hot dogs... Then I could see putting, you know, Williams or Bonds ahead of him, but it, it's Babe Ruth. And there's a reason you were able to trade him and get a machine. So I'm going to go with Ruth still at number one. Um, but for this Williams, this is a, a pre-war Ted Williams and a pre-Royd Barry Bonds. And those two are so close. You're going to have a slightly higher contact tool on Williams, and a, a much higher power tool on Bonds. But he's also going to give you more strikeouts Uh the, the engine hadn't quite modeled his Greek or uh, not un Greek God of walks, because, well, of course, the Greek God of walks is Kevin Euclidus, but Barry Bonds has been walked more than uh, my dog. So I would <laughs> venture to guess that those two in this particular division are about even. So I'm going to give them both a two. And then I want to say Jackson is the four here because he just doesn't offer enough to compete with the three literal studs on each of these other teams.
1: Putting Bonds on par with Ted Williams despite the fact that Bonds will literally only play for two months before dying.
0: Well, you look at the vintage. It's a 96. So you're not approaching, you know, because he came into the league in the late 80s. So he's just entering his prime at this moment. you, you got to think that with the outfielders that Harlock actually has, that he can go through and load manage Barry Bonds to the point where this will be a, a transcendent player. And it, again, if you look at his bench, he's got a, a custom Big O, who is a Satoharu O from the Japanese Nippon Pro Baseball not a Barry Bonds player, but certainly someone who could step in and take some of the load should Bonds go down or if just needs a breather. So with that, you know, taking that into account is why I look at left field and say, yeah, I, I think Barry at his prime versus Ted Williams just before his prime, the way the mogul looks at them both, I would put them as equal. All right. All right. So with that, uh, being decided, go ahead and uh, give us the lowdown on our center fielding situation here.
1: Well, in center field for the Mosquitoes, we got uh, a 1915 Tris Speaker, whereas Harlock and the Slimes have a 1908 Tris Speaker, Government Dogs have an 1891 Billy Hamilton, and Walneyrakers Rakers have Ed Delahunty.
0: All right, let's get number four out of the way first. Uh, there is absolutely no reason why Jin should continue to try out Ed Delahanty, a 1900 vintage Ed Delahanty, as a starting center fielder. Until you look at his bench and realize that his other outfielder is Sam Thompson from 1891. Both not really inspiring as far as defensive coverage. Both have legs, but they literally have animal hides for mitts and can't catch a damn thing. So... Delahandy's got to be my number four. And then, I mean, Billy Hamilton is pretty much the same thing, except, I don't know, faster? Uh, That's really all I got. So the final debate really comes out to where are we looking in terms of vintages for Tris Speaker? Is is 15 more palatable, or are we going even younger for the 08?
1: No, the real discussion we need to have, is not about these Tris speakers, but about my Tris speaker. 1927. Will he destroy the Mosquitoes and Slimes Tris speakers, thus making Billy Hamilton number one and Ed Delahunty number two? Or will these speakers lift up mine and then we can talk about... Probably the 08 is going to be ahead of the 15, and maybe... Maybe not even then, maybe it just depends on which age mogul decides to pull from. If it pulls from 15, maybe it puts 15 ahead and brings down the eight. If it pulls from the eight, maybe it makes eight the best and then 15, not so good. Or maybe it'll pull from my 27 and they're, they're both useless.
0: The age bug is a factor, and I did forget that you were running a Trist speaker on your own team, even if he is uh, about my same age in real life and therefore prone to falling apart randomly whenever a joint decides to fall out of place or he decides to sneeze. But looking at the vintages for the Trist speakers, uh, yeah, speakers is the correct plural, Uh, the 08 version is only 20 and hasn't really gotten a foothold in the league yet. His next season would be his first full season. At age 21. So it's a Trist speaker. He has a pedigree, but he's also a baby. And that might be enough to age balance your decrepit old man speaker. As as far as the 15 vintage goes, that that's literally in his prime right before he, he goes off for the uh, Cleveland team in 1916 and just dominates the league on his way to a 186 OPS. Uh Or OPS plus, excuse me, uh, almost over a thousand OPS by itself, a three eighty six batting average. Although he consistently hit around three eighty for a lot of his career, never did top that four hundred number. He ended up with a uh, historical career batting average of three forty five, which is still insane, even even by you know those standards back. In the day where a lot of guys tended to hit like that, you know, Ty Cobb being one of them. So I think personally, if we dodge the age bug this season for Tris Speaker, that the 15 is going to come out ahead of the eight. And then we're going to have possibly Billy Hamilton being my third. And then we'll follow it up with our uh, Ed Delahanty. What do you think?
1: Uh, well, at the way that age bug was explained to me, I could easily be wrong, was that Mogul is going to pick one of them and say, this is Trispeaker, speaker. And then all the other versions are going to be changed based on whatever the base one is. So it'll be younger versions. like if it pulls the 27, it's going to say, okay, Trispeaker speaker is ancient and crap. And these other speakers, well, they're a few years younger, so they'll be a little less crap. And it's the same the other way, where you have, if it pulls from the baby Tris Speaker, it'll say, okay, this is the baby Tris Speaker, but it's the baseline. And then all the other Tris speakers are older. So if they're older, they're obviously getting worse. So they're going to be a little worse than the baby Tris Speaker. Whereas if it pulls from the 15, it's going to be Tris Speaker in his prime, and the baby one's not going to be that much worse, and the ancient one's also not going to be that much worse. So it it's literally going to come down to what mogul decides is the Tris speaker. I think if it pulls the baby Tris speaker, the baby Tris speaker is going to be better than the fifteen, even though historically fifteen is his prime.
0: Well, there is that. However, we can't take into account the what ifs, so we have to make our prediction. And with all that taken into account how would you rate our four center fielders?
1: With that taken into account, I, I gotta, I'm going to put, yeah, 15 speaker, number one, followed by 08, and then the also rants.
0: Do you think uh, an 1891 Billy Hamilton and a 1900 Ed Delahanty will perform about the same, yeah, or do you think that Hamilton's slight edge and speed might be uh, more relevant to his team than Delahanty's slight contact edge?
1: I think they're going to be interchangeable.
0: Interchangeable. You heard it here first, folks. So that's going to be the 1915... Two
1: guys I never heard of who died before I was born. They are interchangeable.
0: You know, (laughs) my my mother said that about my grandparents, so I'm, I'm totally on board with you there.
1: Well, maybe she was trying to tell you something, oh, some she... dark truth in your family you didn't want to accept.
0: Oh, we finally gotten to those dark truth moments where the whole <laughs> genetic back falling apart thing happens, but mine just happened to take place right when I was entering the Marine Corps at, you know, early 20s versus her 55. Yeah, that, that's something we recently got to. So I'm going to have my maternal rage, but in the meantime, we're going to switch over to our right-fielding stats here. And if we take a look, we see, again, some impressive names, maybe not to the level of our left-fielding lineup, but the Mosquitoes are going to try out a 1958 Hank Aaron. The Enix Slimes have a 1942 Stan the Man Musial. Pash is sticking true to the Minnesota roots here by taking a 1996 Tony Gwynn as his starting right fielder, and the British team of the Rakers is bringing out another Stan Musial, but unfortunately this one's just a little bit older at 1953. So I know there's a couple names here you will recognize. You want to take a stab at it first? Uh,
1: My understanding is that Stan Musial's above Hank Aaron in the Super League. Um, I don't know when his prime is, but I'm going to assume the younger one. Uh, Tony Gwynn was like, to this day, all I could think of is the fact that he was the only decent San Diego Padre for ever.
0: Wow, not even Goose Gossage?
1: I, there's not a statue of Goose Gossage outside of the Padres' ballpark.
0: You know what? Fair enough. I'll take it. Well, we're looking at Musial's, uh career here, and the 42 vintage was his age 21 season, in which he still batted 315 over 100 and f- 140 games, 536 plate appearances, put up an OPS plus of 151. His slugging was just under 500. Still very impressive. That was a 10 home run, 72 RBI year. You could tell he was entering just this amazing hot streak, though, because the very next year uh, he led the league playing 157 games. He batted 357 with an OPS plus of 177. He took 347 total bases that year. Uh, just outstanding numbers. Very rarely struck out. I mean, his ratio. Well, I, I'm not great at math, but when you walk 72 times and only strike out 18 over the course of a 162 game season, or was it 100? It might have been less than that, that. Is a 150 something? Because they did actually add some more games on, um, uh, like a decade or so after that. So, again, with that having been said, and I sorry I digressed there, his stats were absolutely insane after that. Uh, 42 season. But then we look at the 53. He was definitely in his prime, declining in his prime, but not hard. That's his age 32 season there um, in 1953. And he batted 337. I Had 105 walks that year to lead the league versus only 32 strikeouts. I mean, the man just had an amazing eye for the plate. Uh, whatever pitches people were throwing back then, he just, he was locked in. And so, with that being said, the mogul engine always tends to look at the the babies a little more harshly because they tend to roll potential still within the first couple years of their career. And that potential can absolutely ruin a season. So if I had to choose between the two, as much as it stinks for an outfielder to run out there at 32, I probably go for the, the 53 version of Stan Musial over the 42 version.
1: That sounds fair.
0: Now, the issue with Hank Aaron is, even though we know him in real life to be just this transcendent hitter, I mean, if you look at his stats, he's done stuff that only two or three other people in the entire history of Major League Baseball have ever done. Uh, If you look at his most recent milestone that he shares with Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, as we were talking about earlier... They're the only ones that have a career batting average over uh, 300, with 600 doubles, 500 home runs, and over 3,000 hits. I believe is the line. It's just silly stuff like that. And in a game where failure is pretty much, you know, how the game is played, being able to hit the ball successfully three times out of ten versus only two to two and a half times out of ten literally makes players these days millions upon millions of dollars. Just think of how much more they would have gotten back then had uh, that type of inflation existed for them. You know, Williams, Cobb, Aaron, I mean, these guys just would have, they would have been living gods just painted in greenbacks. So I think Heron is done wrong by the Mogul engine, but unfortunately that's what we're simming the season in. I don't think he honestly stands up to stand the Man uh, in either version but I think he offers a little bit more than Tony Gwynn. As much as I appreciate Tony Gwynn's hit tool, his eye just was unparalleled for the area in which he played. I think he is just a slight step below. So I would go 53 Musial, 42 Musial, the Hank Aaron, and Tony Gwynn in order. And I'm, I'm thinking you might feel the same way.
1: Yeah, I even with the way Mogul treats Hank Aaron, he definitely performs better than Tony Gwynn.
0: Fair enough. All right, go ahead and uh, give us the lowdown on the DH situation for these teams.
1: Well, the DH, and Milan Mosquitoes have a uh, 1924 George Sisler. Enoch Slimes have a uh, 1993 Frank Thomas. Well, I constantly think of Dave Thomas from the Wendy's ads instead of the actual baseball player. The government dogs have Dan Brothers, or perhaps Brothers, if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, from 1890. And Walney Rakers have a 39 Lou Gehrig.
0: First thoughts?
1: Dave, I want some Wendy's now. I brought it up, and now I'm thinking about burgers.
0: The big burg. Excuse me. The big
1: second shirt. second thought, uh, of these players, I know Lou Gehrig can perform, and the rest, I don't know them. So that is my, my tentative ranking is number one Lou Gehrig, Uh, Number four, Frank Thomas, and the other two, I don't
0: know. We're running on same wavelengths here, but for different reasons. For one, uh, I was thinking about the Arby's Wagyu Burger earlier, and apparently it's a little weird to some people's taste because they cook it sous vide, and so it leaves the insides a little more pink than people are used to, but I always say if you can't handle a little pink inside, then cook your burger a little longer because that's all you got to do to remedy that. And
1: uh, I saw to... Ordinary Sausage just posted a video this morning of uh, the Arby's Waggy Burger sausage. I haven't watched it yet
0: though. See, I, I bet it's actually pretty interesting. But that's that's what I'm thinking of these days with the burger. Um, Lou Gehrig in 1939, still an absolute force of nature. Uh, it wouldn't be for a few years that he, you know, would. Finally feel his body telling him, hey, no, it, it's time. I'm winding down. You're not going to be able to do this anymore. And then he would eventually, you know, remove himself from his playing streak in, uh, in Detroit at Old Tiger Stadium. And uh, after that, he would go on to retire and then uh, pass away from what we now know is colloquially uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. So I have a soft spot in my heart. I've never been able to capture one from my own teams. Uh, usually, the asking price is a little bit out of what my teams could ever provide. But if I ever had the shot to get a nice, decent Lou Gehrig, I probably would try and make some room for him because it, it's just too good of a bat. So he would easily be the number one. I totally agree with you there. Um, Dan Brothers is one of those, uh, you know, late uh, pre MLB players that mogul sees. And unfairly skews their stats due to when they played and how stats are reported, and the rules were changed, all that fun stuff. But the data that we're left with gives us players like How Dan Brothers plays out in the Super League. Um, but having said that, I think that for designated hitting, he and George Sisler would probably be around the same. And then when we look at that even further. We have to look at team composition. If you've noticed, the government dogs really just have one power hitter, and that's Babe Ruth. So all the rest of their players are either like, you know, extremely good contact hitters or slightly less good contact hitters with slightly more power, that being Wade Boggs. Um, So you look at what the government dogs are doing, they have a more cohesive team strategy versus. Well, you see a lot of studs on the mosquitoes, and then you see Scott Rowland. Some (laughs) duds. Scott Rowland and George Sisler, and you're looking at it going, well, you know, there's a good mix, but I'm not sure it's as cohesive as what the dogs are doing. So I'm likely to put brothers at two. And Sisler at three, and then Frank Thomas at four, just because he's got too big of a hole in a swing. Yeah, he could put a big hurt on the ball, but he also could put a big hurt in the uh, ozone layer with all the uh, air he's shooting off into space from a whiff. So that's got to be my number four, especially uh, when you're up against other hitters that just consistently hit the ball more often. So Gehrig one, Sisler two, oh, excuse me, brothers two, Sisler three, and Thomas four for me.
1: See, they're even interchangeable as they come out of your mouth.
0: Fair enough. I'll put them both at two. Two and a half. Two and a half.
1: We, 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 we can't put them both at second place. we got to dock them a little bit. Absolute middle.
0: All right. I, I put them both at two and a half. That lets me move Frank Thomas up to three. Because I don't want to unfairly punish our last player just because... <laughs> The other two ahead of them are just slightly better. All right, this brings us to our bench evaluation. Now, we could be here all day just naming off the names, but most of these teams seem to have a really good idea of what a decent bench is actually constructed of. The, because these teams have been around for so long. They've been able to accrue some depth, but with that having been said, I do notice a slight bit of a uh, an outlier of one team versus the other three, and that's going to be the Mosquitoes, and uh, I'm going to let you take a look real quick and see if you can figure out what I'm talking about here.
1: Mostly the fact that the other benches have some people that I recognize and nobody on the Mosquitoes I recognize.
0: Okay. Well, that's one thing.
1: <laughs> that's one thing.
0: That's definitely one thing. Uh, Any other shots?
1: All right. So. I, I don't... Well, as far as composition goes, like... Meyer is marked as just infielder. And my understanding is that you probably want a shortstop on your bench. And the other teams have shortstops on their bench, but the Mosquitoes have infielder.
0: So, yeah, because he's... Buddy Meyer tended to play mostly second base, but was... If not the best, he was a capable shortstop. And that's if I'm remembering this correctly. And if I'm not, I'm sure one of the people in the Super League well, actually, Buddy Meyer was more of a shortstop and tended to play second base here in Super League lineups, but you don't know what you're talking about. So if that's true, fair enough. I fully
1: admit I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: Yes. Uh, And I said I'm only slightly more knowledgeable, and that's, again, enough to be dangerous, not deadly. So... Looking at the mosquitoes bench, they have a, a Pudge Rodriguez as their catcher, which I have a soft spot for, and this is also him, pretty much in his prime. So it's not a bad uh, catching, you know, small spoon if uh, G Volt cho- chooses to use him that way, or even as a dedicated catcher for one of his pitchers. Uh, he's got a few that could really benefit from uh, Pudge's pitch handling skills. Um, I'm looking at his. Pedro Martinez and his Bob Gibson as examples uh, of captures that really just, they want to be able to capture and corral those um, more moving pitches in order to prevent those pass balls. So the Pudge is good. However, a hack Wilson is not good. Uh, Buddy Meyer is okay. You know, he's he's depth, but he's not great depth. Uh, Frank Robinson severely underperforms in the Super League, and he shouldn't. He's a Hall of Fame caliber hitter and Joe Tory also kind of underperforms, but he's one of those players that has that interesting coverage spectrum where you can play catcher and even third base and not be horrible at either. So the, G- the Mosquitos actually have a decent bench in other divisions, but I honestly think they might be slightly outclassed in this one. Now, looking at the Slimes, I'm not sure how injury-bitten they've been in order to consider running two outfielders on their bench, but having one as a creative player is not a bad way to go. The other is just a 1902 Jesse Burkett. He's a player that is another one of those that gets bandied around as, oh yeah, I'd like to have him on the team, but he's not going to you know, break me if I don't. He's just really, really reliable depth, as long as you don't throw something in the air at him and tell him to catch it, because 1902, not going to catch stuff uh, as well that's coming at him through the sky versus on the ground, because, you know, dead ball and all that. So, he's there, but the Slimes are also running out of Cal Ripken, uh, starting to decline at this point in 94, but he's still a Cal Ripken, and he still has a decent bat, and will go out there and be fairly injury-unprone, and... A Mike Piazza as a secondary catcher is not a bad way to go, especially you know because he offers that power bat you know, at catcher that not all teams have and can definitely benefit, especially if he actually gets a hold of one. And then their second baseman is an uh, older Charlie Gehringer, and I'm all about Charlie Gehringer. So even, even as this or 1935 season, he's still the mechanical man. So... I actually like that bench with the exception of having two outfielders.
1: I actually can understand the two outfielders because he's got the Barry Bonds that's going to explode and he's got a Tris speaker that could explode due to age bug. So he may be hedging for both of those negative outcomes by having two outfielders on his bench.
0: That works for me. Um, Yeah, I, I appreciate the uh, depth there, and I, I definitely can see how that would uh, that would make a big play into it. So that's why I kind of said maybe it's, you know, fear of injury, because we were talking back about the Barry Bonds and his tendency to evaporate. So that makes more sense now that uh, we revisit the topic, so... Uh, next, we have Pasha's Bench. Uh, we have a Joe Maurer from 19... Er, from 2008. <laughs> 1908. That would be really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Negative 100. Um, he has a Ricky That's an age bug. There. That's a drastic age bug. That's uh, that's like shooting into a condom, but that common is actually a, a portal that leads you back to uh, pre-century baseball. That's really bad. <laughs>
1: Goes back in time with the sports almanac. Knows exactly what every pitcher is going to throw.
0: And absolutely dominates. Because Joe Maurer has always had that hitter's eye. Um, he tormented Tigers with that for years. And it served him well both at the plate as well as behind it. Uh, he was able to, to frame pretty effectively. And make Tigers hitters of that era look really dumb. So, got to take your cap to a, a true competitor in Joe Maurer. Uh, but yeah, he is there. Secondary catcher here. Uh, there's a Ricky Henderson from 1983. That's always good for uh, filling in for that Billy Hamilton, who you know could just be a complete no-show. Uh, Ricky's going to give you base stealing speed just like Hamilton did, and might have a little bit better of a. Um, I don't know if you can really compare a power stroke per se, just because Henderson's a little bit more of a modern player, but he was still never famed for you know slamming dongers. He just he ran a lot, so you may get lucky with him in case Hamilton flops, but he's your insurance policy, really. And then you have a Pete Rose as your utility guy from 1969, and this makes a lot of sense to me simply because Mogul is not kind to Pete Rose. He may have hit the ball a crap ton, yes, but Mogul's not really sure where to place him because of the era in which he played, and so his actual usage tends out to be a little less than where you think it should be because of this. It's and the,
1: that mogul scandal bias again.
0: Mogul is very, very prim and proper. That's definitely for sure. Uh, then you have another, um, not a personal favorite of mine, but a guy I very much like simply because his, he attended school at the University of Michigan, which is not too far away from where I currently live. That's Barry Larkin in his 1987 vintage. And to top it all off, of course, you know, Ty Cobb. Even though this is a very baby Ty Cobb, being 1905, it's still Ty Cobb. Uh, he, he basically does what Henderson does, but maybe a little bit better even as a baby, just because his contact tool is just that much better than Ricky's ever was in his entire career. So that's also a pretty good uh, bench, and that'll it will protect you versus the Potential fall offs of Hamilton and Gwynn. Gwynn, just because he's got one tool and Mogul may not treat him so well in this particular season, and Hamilton because he's a dead ball outfielder and Mogul either loves him or hates him. So I see insurance there and I see enough coverage for all the rest of the players uh, with enough talent to not be too much of a detriment. So I'm okay with that particular bench.
1: Yeah, it seems fine. I. Probably would rate it a little below the Slime's bench, personally.
0: Created players definitely get a little bit of a bump, even though you don't know exactly who Smasher's going to model Sadaharu O off of. Uh, But usually it's, uh, it's someone who rivals O's stats, and maybe the translation gets lost a little bit, but having a player like that on your bench is not really a bad thing ever. So... Looking at the Rakers bench, though, we have our platoon partners from Catcher and Shortstop. You got a Nap LeJoy, who's the second baseman of notes for the Cleveland Naps, especially back in 1905, and a Sam Thompson, again, from 1891. Uh, you know, it's a bench. It exists. That's where the platoon partners go. Uh, you, you got your... Second baseman there for other middle of the infield coverage. You've got a replacement outfielder just in case Adelahanty is dog water, which he very well could be. But Thompson was just listed as an outfielder because back in the day, they all just kind of played wherever they wanted in the outfield. So you can break it down further into left and right field and center field. But Thompson, eh, he just kind of defied things a little bit back then, especially in 1891. So you get outfielder and you're going to like it.
1: Is that missing a player? I'm only counting four. The two platoon partners. LaJoy Thompson.
0: That's what he has. And there's a reason why. If you uh we'll get into that when we get into the bullpen. Okay. So he's made the decision to run with one lunch bench player and one more uh reliever. So that's why we're only looking at a four man bench. So With that all having been said, you want to take a stab at your listing for these benches?
1: Uh, well, I, I don't know how to rank the rakers. So setting the rakers aside, I would put slimes above the government dogs, above the mosquitoes. Um, so yeah, and then I'll leave it to you. Where the rakers slide into that?
0: So that's very interesting because Ginge isn't technically doing anything wrong with his bench because that's he's already got his platoon partners listed. Whereas you know the other uh, owners did not, if they are running a platoon or if they were simply just using you know in the catcher's cases individual catchers. Uh, I didn't see that when I you know came up with this list. So. Looking at names alone, you know, if you're running out Bresnahan and uh, Cronin out there, you, you have a Arky Vaughn, a Mickey Cochran, a Nap Lajoie, and a Sam Thompson on your bench. It's not a bad bench. And you could, you know, just as easily go with the opposite, um, depending on what type of pitcher you, your team started facing that day. So, honestly, it, it's not bad. It's just not as full, I guess, as the others. So when you look at all four benches objectively, I'm also going to have to put the Slimes bench number one. Um, I, I just look at what they have on the bench complements what they're running out on the field quite well. It does cover for a few um, deficiencies should a couple of players not play up to their potential. Um, You have a guy like Big O who could also take over at first base for Johnny Mize should he not work out because, you know, outfielders tend to be able to play first base quite easily too. They don't suffer as much of a a stat penalty from shifting over. Um, So, yeah, that would put Slimes at number one for me. Um, You went with the Dogs at number two.
1: Yeah, I put the Dogs above the Mosquitoes and i i just don't know how to place the rakers so if you want to put the rakers at number 2 above the dogs then feel free
0: see i honestly would rake the dogs and the rakers about the same simply because of what i was just talking about and it's not like they're you know they don't have talented guys on their bench that are covering for their weaknesses it's literally they just have one less player and Considering what they are running out there, again, their bench also complements their team pretty well. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like the the dogs. You know, the only problem I have with the dogs is a Pete Rose. Yes, he's going to play a couple different positions, but you've got two outfielders, one of which is a baby, and you got a Barry Larkin. So you, you've you've kind of left yourself a little bit open there. Um, I probably would have to put the Rakers to and the Dogs and the Mosquitoes both at a three. Just, I like the amount of covers the Mosquitoes have for their players. They literally have uh, one, two outfielders. They have Buddy Meyer who can handle both middle infield positions. They have a replacement first baseman. Uh, Joe Torre could also play first base. It's not listed. They have two you know, uh, spare catchers. They're almost injury proof. The only ding they have is that Hack Wilson. He's not that great of a player. And so that's why I would put them tied for last. I just don't think that, you know, they're that much worse in any way, shape, or form versus um uh, the dogs. So I would go Slimes, then uh you know what did I just say? Slimes number one <laughs> I already forgot.
1: You had Slimes one uh Rakers, and...
0: Rakers, and mis- rakers, rakers and rakers two, two and I think
1: you had oh you had <laughs> rakers and dogs 2, and then mosquitoes third. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slide in with a spicy hot take here and shake things up. Slimes one, dogs two, rakers three because they're I'm gonna save a slot for a bullpen guy who's gonna backfire on them, and then mosquitoes four.
0: You know, I, I can go with that. Um, I, I pushed to have my way earlier. Your, your argument is persuasive enough. I'm going to go ahead and change it over to that.
1: My argument of it's a spicy hot take.
0: Hey, we all need them every once in a while. All right. We are approaching the back half of this marathon, and this lets us delve into the starting pitchers. So... You know what? Let's have fun with this. Let's start with the ass end of the rotation first. We're going to look at the starting pitcher number five position. And from top to bottom in my listing, well, the way I have them listed, not how I'm actually going to rank them. (laughs) Looking at G-Volt brings a 1916 Ed Walsh to the table. Uh, Harlock is trying out a 2015 Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Pash has a ni- uh, 2018 Steven Strasburg and Jinj is just determined to throw us all off with an 1874 version of a Jim Devlin. So, what are your thoughts on these four uh, rogues? I've heard of Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, fair enough. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> How about Steven Strasburg? He of the uh, Washington no, Nationals. i never Super- heard of him.
1: No. I,
0: all right. All
1: right. Nope. Never heard of.
0: <laughs> I'm so, going to piss
1: off my friend Rally Pigeon by saying that, but whatever.
0: No worries. We're all here to piss off someone. Uh, I have a feeling I'm going to piss off quite a few people with this. But you know what? They don't know where I live, so we're good. Uh, Strasburg. Well, except you just said you're a few minutes away from the University of Michigan. Yeah. But You've in outed direction?
1: yourself. I mean, how many directions are there to go in Michigan, really?
0: Uh... 360. If you just pick one and shoot, <laughs> yeah, but
1: what how many directions <laughs> have something defined in them
0: <laughs> depends on what you're looking for. I mean, we can play this game, <laughs> it's probably more. I'm fine, than I live basketball.
1: in it all. I live on an island in the Pacific Ocean, so it's fine.
0: Ah. Okay, so not wanting to ask any doxing questions and narrow that down any further. <laughs> I'll just say that Strasburg was a <laughs> highly touted uh, pitching prospect for the Nationals, and uh, literally I think it was a year or two after he got in, he ended up meeting Tommy John. Uh, he came back successfully from it, and he's been a very good pitcher, but not nearly as dominant as his stuff suggested he would be coming out of, uh, what was it, I think junior college, uh, directly into the MLB, so... Uh, Strasburg, good good pitcher, but he's not Clayton Kershaw level, um, in real life at least. Now, Kershaw in 2015 is a bit younger than where he's at now. That's it's uh, His particular pitching profile has really started to play up a lot better for teams uh, in the Super League as of the last few database updates um, because Kershaw's gotten more seasons under his belt and gotten more stats to add to his record. His durability's also been really good so those stats come through and the game says oh well, this guy's having a, a good career he's lasted for quite a while let's uh let's go ahead and you know make him look a little better throughout so kershaw definitely gets a boost um ed walsh old-time dead baller maybe a little more um skilled than some of the other dead ballers that we tend to see that just go floating around a lot of teams tend to latch on to dead ballers because they limit contact to mostly ground balls, and, you know, they may not strike out a whole many people, and they may walk a few, but if you have a decent enough defense behind them and a big enough stadium, you can limit the damage that hitters tend to do to dead ball pitchers, and those types of defenses are not that hard to find in Super League feeding teams, but problem is, if you're taking those teams for the defense, you got to live with them through the offense, too. And... Those types of teams tend not to have the greatest offenses. So you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And it's a talented owner that can build a team that manages to balance that while using dead ball uh, pitchers. We saw a few of those teams you know, back early Super League, like uh, Cleveland Unicorns. That was definitely a, a dead ball-focused team, and they just they seem to have that voodoo magic. But I digress. <laughs> We're looking at Ed Walsh versus Jim Devlin. Um, In 1874, I don't even know if they called them pitches. They just called them, I'm throwing the ball at the person somewhere in the vicinity of the plate. And they were so bad. Back when they called
1: it toss ball.
0: Exactly. Or rounders, if you're British. Uh, (laughs) And in rounders or toss ball. How about not
1: rounders?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, whatever you wanted to call the game before it's eventual evolution into baseball. Uh, Pitches back then were a little wonky because, A, the the balls weren't, you know, standardized. So some balls could, you know, sink faster than others because of their weight and how they uh, rotated. Some balls, you know, could spin more and, you know, do crazier stuff in the air if the pitcher knew how to throw it like that. um, It wasn't until Candy Cummings really innovated the curve that people started to see some of the Interesting things you could do with just flicking your wrist at the right moment. Before then, they would mark the ball, scuff it, and uh, spit on it to get it to do different things. So, we don't know how talented Jim Devlin is with doing all that stuff, but we were told there are no longer any knives allowed on the field during Super League matches, so this might limit his ability to pitch. So, for that reason, I'm going to rank him as my number four. I'm going to go with uh, Devlin as four uh strasburg is three walsh is two and for the fifth starting pitching position clayton kershaw on the slimes is probably by number one ranking how about you
1: that sounds good i don't want to i don't want to piss off rally pigeon by suggesting that we put jim devlin above him just for the hot take
0: Yeah, you know, fair enough go ahead and introduce our starting pitcher fourth position
1: All right, so for the Mosquitoes, we've got a 1968 Don Drysdale. The Enix Slimes have a 1951 Warren Spawn, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Government Dogs have a 13 David Price. And Walney Rakers have an 11 Addy Joss.
0: All right, so tell me, out of all these guys, how many do you recognize?
1: I've heard of Addy Joss.
0: (laughs) And that's a shocker, because... David Price is more uh, modern. He pitched for...
1: The only reason I've heard of Eddie Joss is because of the Super League, but I've heard of Eddie Joss.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, Price pitched for the Rays, uh, the Tigers, the Blue Jays, and I believe is currently on the Dodgers, but hasn't pitched in quite a bit because he's uh, not comfortable with uh, being around people with COVID, as as far as I can remember. So... Uh, They're still working with him in Los Angeles, I do think. If not, he maybe just is taking a gap year and traveling the world, seeing the sights. Whatever the case is, he was a pretty effective pitcher. I wouldn't say he was a great pitcher, but he was a very good pitcher. Um, One thing about Price was the control of his fastballs. Um, Dude could paint with those fastballs, and that's something I did get to witness firsthand. Uh, I also used to play PS4 with him. As well as a few other members of the Tigers. So, nice you know, dude was uh, very polite, uh, a gentleman for his younger age than me, and uh, absolutely loved the MLB The Show. I think at the time it was, uh, I think MLB The Show 14 had just come out, and that was the one that had Cabrera on the cover. So, yeah, we got a chance to play those with him. But I digress yet again. Uh, you were asking about Warren Spawn. That is how you say his name. The saying with Warren Spawn cool. was uh, the team had a rotation of Spawn, Sane, and Pray for Rain. So they had two fifths of the starting rotation. They knew the other three were absolute shit. And Spawn and Sane would get them through. And then they just have to hope for decent days out of the other three. So Warren Spawn is kind of noted in Braves lore. Um, and then Don Drysdale, of course, he's been around for quite a while. Um, Dodgers pitcher. And absolutely just, he's one of those guys that, yeah, is Hall of Fame now, but is also kind of maybe not as Hall of Fame as some other guys, if if that makes any sense.
1: Hall of Fame in a slow year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Hall of Fame in a slow year. But last time I did one of these previews, I ragged on Addy Joss. I said he's one of those dead ballers that, is going to get you through. I just don't think he's as good as some of the other names on the list. And what does Eddie Joss do but go out and prove me wrong every single fucking time? So I'm not betting against Eddie Joss this time. Out of our four starting pitchers, <laughs> I'm going to go Joss, Drysdale, Price, and Spawn in that order. All right. Excellent. So... Now we're going to move up to our SP3 position. Uh, the Mosquitoes are rocking a 1965 Bob Gibson. That's in his prime. That'll be fun. Uh, Harlock has a Kevin Brown. Yeah, That's another certified public accountant name, but we are familiar with Kevin Brown here in the Super League. He is uh, quite notorious. Uh, Pash is running the Minnesota government dogs as... Well, of course he's running that team, but his pitcher... For the third starting position spot is a 2004 Pedro Martinez. And then, of course, Ginge has yet another Addy Joss, this time from 1903. So, my first thoughts are looking at the team composition for the government dogs, they have more of a modern team um, with a couple of exceptions. But their catchers are well set up to handle. Guys like Pedro, David Price, Steven Strasburg, because they have more movement on their pitches traditionally. And Pedro is a, start, a strikeout artist at his best and a gopher ball artist at his worst. And 0-4, he was starting to get a little longer in the tooth. Um, I don't know. Personally, I—it sounds strange to say, but I might switch him out to the fourth position and put Davis, David Price in the third just because of their ages. Uh but I can also understand how you might not want to do that because Kershaw is a lefty, that he has it too. and um, so is David Price, and then Pedro's a righty. So just giving yourself that left, right, left split in the middle of your rotation that definitely can um, you know change your fortunes a little bit. So with all that taking into account, again, Just looking at what Joss can do for a team like the Rakers, I'm going to go ahead and put Joss number one. And I'm going to put, as horrible as this sounds, Kevin Brown number two. What? Yep, and I'll explain. And then I'm going to go Pedro number three and Gibson number four. And the reason is this. For whatever reason, I don't know. Mogul really likes Kevin Brown in fact, I think it was fair game who tried to make a five Kevin Brown rotation and he called them the snakes or something like that. a reference to you know, metal gear, but yeah, Kevin Brown tends to be this vastly underrated, but extremely quietly effective pitcher. And I, again, it just, it's one of those weird choices that tends to work out more often than not. And at this point, when I do these, I look for those weird things and see how they've worked out in the past for others and if there's any familiarities. And once I see that, I say, you know what? We can let this run. So Kevin Brown in this in this group is going to be my number two. Pedro at, uh, in 2004 is, like I said, just a little older. He can still throw it, but I've had a few 04 Pedros myself. Um, they can get into trouble very quickly and the game just tends to, you know, when it rains, it pours on Pedro. And then Bob Gibson, I mean, Hall of Fame pitcher, yes, easily. But Mogul does not know how to handle Bob Gibson. He's He had a really strong arm in the 60s. Like, his average fastball could have been, you know, 97, 98, something like that. And Mogul's just like, you don't know, he's wild, <laughs> and treats him like crap, so... Unfortunately, since, again, we are going with mogul's rules, I can't rate Gibson as high as I would like to. So, Joss, Brown, Martinez, Gibson for me. What do you think?
1: I think you're crazy. I think Kevin Brown puts up the numbers that he does for Harlock because of the talent that surrounds him. If we're just looking at it from a pure rate these pitchers point of view I got to put Martinez number 2 above Brown
0: Okay there's definitely an argument for that and I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're absolutely wrong because my hunches have failed many times before Um so let let's do let's split on this one because it is slightly older Pedro and because you're not as confident in Kevin Brown's you know individual prowess versus uh what his team does for him. I say we, we can dock them both and do a 2.5 on them and Gibson are three. Sounds good. All right. Fill us in on the SP two position.
1: On SP two. The Milan mosquitoes have a 95 Greg Maddox. Enix slimes have a 1940 dizzy Dean. Government dogs have a 2014 Clayton Kershaw. Walney Rakers have Christy Mathewson. The one guy I have not heard of in this position.
0: All right. So a little bit of background for Christy Mathewson. It was a different time when the baseball hall of fame originally opened up and started uh, accepting, uh, you know, residents, I guess you could call it. But Mathewson happens to be a member of my own personal team. And I, my current team is one that took the five original Hall of Fame um, initiates uh, when it first opened. So that's uh, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Christy Mathewson, and uh, Honus Wagner, and I think someone else. I, You know what? I don't have my roster up in front of me. I'm more focused on these gentlemen's four rosters. So forgive me for not knowing exactly, but Mathewson might be – and I know this might be heresy to say it, he might be one of those Hall of Fame on a slow day type guys. But he was still really good. So having him as a second a starting position, yeah, pitcher isn't necessarily the worst thing, especially when you look at the fact that Pash is running out of Clayton Kershaw from 2014 in the same spot. Now, for fifth starting pitcher, a 2015 Clayton Kershaw that uh, Harlock has, Yeah, that's definitely going to be a lot different. But usually you throw your better pitchers at the beginning of your rotation. And depending on how things go, there's an argument for Pedro to be a little bit better than Clayton. But again, we're looking at that left-right, left-right switch. So I I get it. Maybe that's the defining characteristic of this roster, or of this pitching rotation. And if so, I can't argue it. Um, Dizzy Dean... I don't know, he's a a baseball all-time name legend. You know, he's got that 80 name tool, but uh, he was a good pitcher. Again, maybe one of those Hall of Fame on a slow day guys, but not bad. You know, the Gas House gang definitely turned out back then. And then, of course, there's Greg Maddox. Um, I got a chance to watch this guy for years and years when I lived in Atlanta and watched the Braves on TBS. Which is you know, we got it over the air, so we didn't have to have cable like you know, all the rest of you guys. So we could get Mr. Turner's free airwaves and watch the Braves um, pretty much dominate the vast majority of the 90s. It was a really good run. And Greg Maddox is one of the architects of that. Just an unbelievable control fiend. He had he just had this un- this mastery of hitters' minds. Um, kinda like uh Gretzky, Lemieux, and Iserman in hockey. He had this vision and he could predict and just execute based on everything that he knew from experience and everything he saw and just his his motions even were they were clean, efficient. He I mean there's a reason they call a a under ninety pitch complete game a Maddox. It's it's efficiency at its highest. And a lot of the times in the, his prime years, that plays in the Super League. So if I were to give it a guess, I probably would go Maddox number one, Matthewson number two, and Kershaw and Dean tied for three.
1: I mostly agree with you. Uh, having played with both Clayton Kershaw and Dizzy Dean on my team personally, my experience is that Kershaw is definitely a better pitcher. I would put Clayton number three, Dizzy Dean number four outright.
0: You know, I have no objections to that. We'll go ahead with that. So you're saying Maddox number one, Matthews number two, Kershaw three, and Dean four? Yep. All right, I've given you the honor of introducing our aces for these teams, so get to it.
1: Uh, Pitching number one, for some reason ahead of Greg Maddox for the Mosquitoes, we have a 96 Pedro Martinez. Whereas the Enix Slimes have placed their 92 Greg Maddox in the number one slot. Government Dogs are running a 98 Pedro Martinez, and the Walney Rakers have an 06 Ed Walsh.
0: So, here's the secret of Pedro's. There's a reason we're seeing three total in this entire uh, divisional preview. Pedro was on Name's really fun to say. <laughs> besides that, uh, Pedro was on a Red Sox team that was uh, pretty accomplished for the era in which he played. So the teams you know are are pretty available for you know fairly often for fairly cheap, considering. Pedro is a high-stat pitcher, but a lot of his supporting cast lets you down. So if you're not a good team builder, you're going to find yourself with a couple of good pitchers and not much else, and your team's going to die, and then it's going to be chopped apart. And teams like the Mosquitoes and the Dogs and... uh, Who had my other Pedro? Oh, yeah, the Dogs had two of them. The other Yeah, it was also the Dogs. (laughs) Those teams are going to, you know do what they can to add to their own talent and make smart choices. So um, you're going to see Pedro a lot, and it's not because maybe he's not a good fit for the Super League, because he is. When he performs, he is one of the dominant pitchers, and that's why you have two prime-year Pedros as the aces for their teams, at least to start the year. But that isn't to say he's not going to get rocked, and especially when we have several different you know age years of Pedro. Like who knows which one may, uh, Mogul is going to pick and how that's going to affect their performance. So you could just as easily see this change two months into the season. So uh, Ed Walsh is back, a more you know prime year for this uh, particular Walsh. Um, maybe that's why the other one on the Mosquitoes is the fifth starting pitcher, and this one is the ace for the Rakers. He's using his dead ball staff to great effect. Um he has been for years, so it's not really a shock here. But is a 1906 Ed Walsh at the level of either Prime Pedro year or a 92 Greg Max, which is even more you know, virile than the 95 that the Mosquitoes were running out as their second uh, starting pitcher? And this one's a tough one for me, so what do you think first, and then I'll see if I agree with you.
1: Uh, Greg Maddox, number one, unquestionably. Uh, Wow. As far as the Pedros go, the fact that the government dogs have two of them means that, like you say, when it rains, it pours. And having two of them kind of doubles your exposure to that risk. So, so I think I think I like the single Pedro Martinez on the mosquitoes more, but why he's at number one instead of Greg Maddox for the mosquitoes, I don't know. Uh,
0: so I think I can answer that for you actually, because I'm I'm looking at the team composition. And remember we talked about dead ball infielders. Um, Greg Maddox throws around the plate a lot more often than Pedro does. And as such, a lot more of his pitches are put into play. Uh, With a control pitcher like that, if you don't have tons of movement or tons of power to kind of give you that second stat to make you excel versus, you know, a specific team, you're going to find a lot of balls in play, and then you're going to find some, you know, hits and errors where maybe you would not have those same hits and errors with a non ball infielding team. So... I guess for me, having Martinez's ability to miss bats with his curveball and his changeup might make him a little stronger as far as that particular team composition. Um, The 96 model is a little earlier than Prime. uh, 98 is literally the Pedro season of note. He was all-time, all-world in 1998. So 96, he may be not getting as good of a Pedro, but that might be enough to make him the number one on the mosquitoes versus, say, on the slimes or on the dogs.
1: Alright, so if if I'm going to make the argument, because I made this argument of looking at the pictures in a vacuum when I taught you out of Kevin Brown, Uh, (laughs) I'm going to put I'm still going to keep Greg Maddox number one for the slimes. And then the 98 Pedro, followed by the 96 Pedro, and then Ed Walsh at the bottom.
0: And this time I'm going to fight back, because I feel like... How dare you! The overall performance <laughs> of the 1998 Pedro Martinez, it, it can literally be a game-changer. And I don't think the 04 is old enough, even with the whole it, when it rains it pours uh, clause, to drop him far enough down to where he is simply like Greg Maddox. I think he has just that little bit of edge. So I would go 98 Martinez 1, 92 Greg Maddox 2, the 96 Martinez 3, and Ed Walsh 4.
1: Well, I talked you out of Kevin Brown. I'll let you talk me out of Greg Maddox.
0: All right. So we'll go with that one then. Now... The bullpen. The bullpen is a strange, nuanced, and mysterious thing. So go ahead, take a look at our bullpen listings, and uh, I'll let you introduce in which order you find the most interesting.
1: Uh, well, the Enix Slimes have a 95 Rivera, whom I'm going to go out on the limit and assume is Mo Rivera, and then yeah. s- uh, a 2015 Papelbon, and then some other players that I don't know who they are. The government dogs have a 99. Again, I'm assuming Mo Rivera. And then other players, I don't know who they are. And the Mosquitoes and the Rakers don't have a Mo Rivera. But at least the Mosquitoes have a Papelbon? Shrug? Okay. Um... That's that's my impression of bullpen listings.
0: Yeah. Um, bullpens... Are the most nebulous thing to try and build because, as we've all learned at one point or another, there is no pitcher with maybe Mariano Rivera as the exception that is a truly transcendent player in that position. And that position encompassing closer, setup, short, middle, and long relief. Um, so when we look at the teams, we're going to start with the uh, Slimes, because uh, they have that 1995 Mariano Rivera. That That's their closer, which rightfully he should be. 95 is right when, what is it, a year, maybe two or three years after he really settled into his role and was just carving people with that cutter. Um, he was entering his prime, just establishing why he was called the man. He was just putting everyone to sleep. Uh, the 2015 Papelbon, a you know, member of the uh, Red Sox team that won it in 08, at least I believe so, and you know I'm sure the Goog or someone who's a Boston fan will let me know exactly if I'm wrong. But Papelbon was a really strong closer in his own right, but is not at the level of Mariano Rivera, so I think he's exactly where he needs to be for setup. Now, for whatever reason, Harlock has a 96 Smoltz as a second setup guy, And I verified this when I was copying the the roster over. He doesn't have a short relief guy. I'm guessing he means for 1996 Smoltz to be a relief guy. There's a problem, though. 1996 Smoltz was a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, It's only a few years later where his innings dropped off dramatically and he started becoming a reliever until his eventual retirement from uh, baseball to go into whining about things during the broadcast. But... If the Mogul engine likes you in a position that'll be a uh, a position in which you can completely contribute. If you'll give me just a moment, my wife just got home
1: all right I, I will mention
0: walks. oh okay all right, so talking about Papelbon um, in 2015. You know, he's a little past when he first came in and uh, helped the Red Sox to championships in 04 and 07. But he's still an extremely good reliever at this point. But Smoltz, we're still looking at Smoltz and going, how is Mogul going to see him at this point? Is there enough information where Smoltz becomes more of a reliever than he does a starter? Or will Mogul act confused and just decide to shit its pants in response? So... That's a big question for me, especially as he's listed as another setup guy. Maybe he's just a short guy, and for whatever reason, there's two mid-relievers for the Slimes, one of them being a 1984 Dennis Eckersley, and the other being a 2013 Luke Gregerson. Uh, Eckersley, we're familiar with him from when he was on a lot of Marauders teams and famously shit the bed for a lot of Marauders uh, playoff runs, so having him in a mid relief role is probably a safer bet as you're not going to get burnt as much. However, you're still probably going to get burnt as with all these bullpens, uh, Luke Gregerson, uh, he's not in the league anymore and he, you know, he had a bullpen career. So he's a guy, he's a modern bullpen guy. He might be good enough. And then we found another Pedro and this one was another Oh four vintage and it was Harlock's long reliever. This is a, uh, another Pedro he- heading out. And like I said, 04, a little bit older of a vintage. So maybe it's smart stash and measure long reliever. But if need be, he could easily fill in for Warren Spawn. Uh, that's just how good he is, even at 04. So, uh, with all things considered, Slime's bullpen isn't that bad. Uh, anytime you have a Mariano Rivera near prime or at prime, your bullpen's already going to be not bad. So, I- I'm okay with that one. Um, as as well as the the second Mariano Rivera-led bullpen, which is from Pasha's team. So 1999 is a little more in his prime, Um, although Rivera did close for quite a while. uh, 99 is probably where most Yankee fans remember him. Uh, They did have their little run of dominance in the late 90s, and uh, Rivera was at the center of it, definitely. Uh, The setup man for this team is a 2014 Craig Kimbrell, which... Still, He still has a career going on right now. Um, I, he was just recently traded, and I can't remember from who to who, but he is still active. Um, and maybe he's back with the Braves. I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, good choice as a setup guy.
1: Five seconds, all Google. <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll go for it. Go for the Google.
1: Uh, Kimbrel's going to Los Angeles.
0: The Dodgers. The Doyers. Okay, that makes more sense. The Doyers at this point are pretty much just a super team. I mean, they've got talent just stacked at every position. And if it's not their own t- talent that they've homegrown, they've just been able to open the pocketbooks, get whomever they need. It's it's crazy how good that team is. It's not, not a surprise that they won the series recently. And there still could be another one or two in the future if they just keep it up. They're playing excellent baseball right now. I think they have uh the second best record in the game, uh, half a game behind the Yankees if I remember correctly. Uh I think they're 33 and 15 right now. And uh yeah, this guy is nothing but up for them, especially having Kimber on their bullpen. As long as he's effective. Uh then we have what I believe is a 1995 Trevor Hoffman as the uh first short reliever and a 2010 Frankie Rodriguez. Uh, Francisco Rodriguez, or K-Rod, if you will, um, as the other short reliever. And then a Mexicutioner, the middle reliever Joaquin Soria from 2008, and a Rocket, Roger Clemens, as the 1987-based long reliever for the government dogs. Just on names alone and nicknames, I mean, you get the Sandman, the Rocket, the Mexicutioner, and K-Rod, that is the bullpen to beat. (laughs) I gotta, I gotta admit that is the one where, if not outright confidence, I have, you know, a fairly good expectation that bullpen is going to live up to the names that are on it. So, that's probably my number one bullpen in this division. What do you think?
1: Does mogul run on nicknames?
0: I mean, we don't know, but we haven't asked it.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's the secret.
0: But you can't argue with the talent that's there. Uh, all, all those guys have just been absolutely yeah. dominant during portions of their careers. And this bullpen seems to have picked the ones that have nailed, you know, right in that area where they've been just so, so good. Maybe the exception being Soria. And maybe that's why he's a mid reliever. Because uh, he really, you know, he, that 08 is about when he started his career ascent. He was good before then, but he put in a few good years from like 08 to. 2013 2014 something like that and then has gradually declined as of late so and then rocket roger clemens he's a good pitcher in real life but mogul just does not like him at all and so many attempts to make clemens work have failed so staking him in long relief is safe uh you're not going to get you know too many highs or too many lows out of him. He's still a talented arm. Probably a really, really good uh, pick for that. And I don't know if you can really logistically put him anywhere else. So, all these decisions are why that would probably be my number one bullpen. Um, So, now we look at the Rakers. Remember what I said about Eckersley blowing games? Well, the Rakers have an Eckersley, and I guarantee you he's blowing some games for them. Their setup is Goose Gossage from the 1984. World Series runner-ups, the San Diego Padres. How do I know they were the runners-up in 1984 besides a quick Google search? It's because my Detroit Tigers (laughs) were the World Series winners in 1984. So there. And they beat up on Goose Gossage to do so. Uh, You have a Sparky Lyle from 1973 as your short reliever number one and some janitor named Al Holland from 1985 as your short reliever number two. Uh, What looks to be a Gaylord Perry from 1966 as your middle reliever, number one. Remember, I said this is the bullpen that had an additional bullpen arm. And we're seeing Danny Darwin from 1982 being snuck in as the second middle reliever. And then what I believe, and I'll have to check my notes on this one, is a Dazzy Vance from 1918 as the long reliever for this team. Uh, All in all... I don't know how you feel about a bunch of random guys just kind of being chucked together. Um, A lot of these guys aren't necessarily the best, but Eckersley, while prone to choke here and there, is still capable in the closer position. Same with Gossage. Maybe you can switch those guys in and out. Uh, But you're looking at Sparky Lyle and Danny Darwin. Those are kind of your weak points in your bullpen. Uh, And then your major black hole is the Al Holland. So... With all that having been said, I can't say I have a lot of confidence in this particular bullpen. What do you think?
1: I think all the Rakers are missing in this bullpen is Antonio Bastardo.
0: Another all-time top name. Uh, (laughs) But why do they need the bastard?
1: Just to fill out the random names, because they're obviously not going to win games with this bullpen.
0: Fair enough. And then last but not least, we're going to look at the Mosquitoes. Uh, they have a Billy Wagner as their closer from 2004. Uh, one of those papal Bonds we were talking about from the Red Sox championship year of 07. Uh, we have an Aroldis Chapman as your left-handed sh- first short reliever uh, from 2016. Uh, Sean Doolittle from 2018 is your other short reliever. Uh, Chief Bender, another top-tier name, as a 1911-based uh, mid-reliever. And then for whatever reason... I think I just put Smoltz, and I don't remember which Smoltz. I want to guess it's 95 because there's a 95 Maddox there too. And if so, okay, that's when he was a pitcher. He'd stick him as a long reliever when he was a starter. Sure. I'm not sure he can compete with Ed Walsh, but yeah, Smoltz is there. So what do you think?
1: I have no strong feelings whatsoever about this bullpen.
0: It exists, and it might be a little bit better than the Rakers, is what I believe.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: So, according to my calculations, that's going to be the uh, the government of Minnesota taking the top spot with their bullpen, followed closely by the Enix Slimes, then the Mosquitoes, and last but not least, oh well, actually last and least, the Rakers. One, two, three, four, in that order.
1: I think it's fair to say last but not least, because I don't think the Rakers are going to be fourth overall in this division.
0: Well, not in general have, fourth, but, you know, just for the yeah. bullpen. It's definitely the least out of the four bullpens, I would say.
1: Least out of the four bullpens, but not the least out of the teams. We have, I haven't seen the numbers yet for all these rankings, but uh, right. I'm going way out on a limb. And assuming that Rakers did not take last.
0: I haven't calculated them yet, so we'll have to stay tuned. Uh, We'll be back after a short break. And we're back. Okay, so after the calculations, here are the standings. By my, admittedly, you know, barely past high school. I'm just kidding. By my calculations, I've got, in order, the Mosquitoes, Just barely bringing up the rear of the division with an average total of 41.5 points. Um, Then we have the government dogs just getting edged by the Enix Slimes for third place in the division with a total of 40 points. The Slimes are literally just a half point above the dogs in my rankings at 39.5 and by a fairly considerate margin. The Waldy Rakers are predicted to take the division based solely off the apparent strength of their players, mostly in the field, as well as their strong third and fourth starting pitching. Their point total was a very, very low 33. Uh, Any thoughts, Circle Master?
1: I think this is proof that we've completely screwed up and nothing we've said was valid, thus meaning this entire thing was a waste of time.
0: I would wholeheartedly agree. So for this completely cocked up divisional preview of the Norris Smythe division, I've been CVX, this was Circle Master, and uh, we hate all of your teams, and may we wish eternal death upon you in the Super League. Have a good night, everyone.